in our world, and, and not so much in America, but in other parts of the world, in the third world, people are as poor and as abused and destined to die at a young age, more, much more so than we're very familiar with. Uh, I've read about uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, slaves, not slaves, but uh, cities in, <laughs> sorry, I've I read about uh, cities in, um, in like India and such where the houses are made out of cardboard and whatever they can put together and people are uh, the poorest of the poor and the lowest of society. Untouchables, they're called in India, because no one wants to go near them. Uh, throughout history, this has been true slaves. It's, it's true now. It's people who are slaves, abused, uh, again, as a destined to die of disease, they can't get away from it, don't even have clean water to drink. Are these people called by God? Are they called? Are they elected? In November of 1759, a slave ship arrived in the Caribbean ravaged by dysentery. Luckily, it ran into the British fleet there and, appear, and appealed for help. The only doctor willing to go on board was an evangelical Christian by the name of James Ramsey. His first introduction to the slave world was a hold, a ship's hold, full of dying prisoners covered in blood and excrement. Quitting the Navy, not because of that, but because of a leg injury, he became an Anglican minister in South Christopher, which is now St. Kitts Island, where, as well as his official duties as a minister, he enraged the plantation managers by preaching to the slaves and condemning their mistreatment. For 14 years, he faced violent opposition and filled the heads of the slaves with the notion that they were created in the image of God. It must not have been easy to be a slave on a Caribbean plantation. But God not only elected every believer to holiness and blamelessness, but because of that election, he's provided every single one of us with the things and the power that we need to thrive in the very lives that we are living. And that's all according to God's idea of thriving. So what about your life? And what about mine? Me, completely and wholly, is that true? Is it possible? We wonder if it is. If you're a born-again believer, it's your calling. And God's going to tell us today that everything that happens in your life, He has sovereignly planned, allowed, however you want to put it, but He is sovereignly in control. And everything that you see, everything that you face, everyone that you have faced from beginning to end, God has given you the ability and power and the assets you need to not only survive it, but to truly thrive in it. That is the calling on every believer. So that's how Paul finishes his book in Thessalonians. So let's open up in prayer and we'll get right into that. Let's thank God for the time we have to be together and the time we have to hear and study his word and the ability to, 
comprehend and see all that God has for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. With humility and reverence, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, who through whom has conquered everything. Conquered sin, conquered the world, conquered the devil, conquered our flesh, conquered death. Therefore, Father, not only are we saved eternally, but we have in each of us the very assets, the very things that we need to overcome all things, all things in our lives. What's true in each of our individual lives, situations we face, people we have to deal with ourselves and our own flesh and our weaknesses as well as our strengths are different. Each of us are unique. Each of us have a unique place in the body of Christ. But each of us have you, Father, as our Lord. Each of us have been blessed by you with truth, with power, power of God, which is more powerful than anything anyone could ever face. Therefore, Father, as you've called us faithfully, may we grab hold of this calling and know with confidence that we will overcome through you. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So, as we'll see, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, just to really... This is the last part. There's a closing after this that that doesn't really warrant a lot of study. Not that it's not important. We'll see some things that we can glean from it. But it's this: these last two sentences in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, that Paul uses as a very short summary to the whole letter. And what we gain from this, or or glean from it, is that God desires for every human life to realize its great purpose and fulfillment. That's every single human life. A great purpose and the fulfillment of that purpose. While we are distracted with other things, we can miss it. Like I can hear my phone going off in my office, so who would call me? It'll stop. Uh, So that's it's a perfect uh, segue there. We could be distracted with a little computer in our hands for years, especially now, and actually miss our eternal purpose and the fulfillment of it. How can we see and convince ourselves in a way that follows Christ to the promised land? As we finish today, we're going to see the Exodus generation. It's a great example. Paul uses them as an example. And they've been called by God, called to leave Egypt, called to go through the wilderness, called to enter into the promised land. Uh, everyone who left Egypt 20 years old and, uh, and older didn't make it, except for two people, Caleb and Joshua. 20 years and older, once they left Egypt, all of those adults, they all died. None of them fulfilled God's calling. So, what was the problem? Was it God's doing? Certainly not. While we are distracted with so many other things, and I think it's something that doesn't get enough airtime from behind pulpits, um, because, you know, sitting around looking at my phone or being distracted by things is not really considered sinful, 
and I would say a great deal of it is not in a category of sin, although it it does breach a certain, um, you know, if you're filling your time with things that are, if you're filling your time with things that are, uh, and that time is supposed to be used in the service of God, then it's really a sin of omission. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. So again, how can we see and convince ourselves that this place, this maturity, this holiness of our entire being and our entire lives, every area, every situation, every every relationship has to be under the holiness of God. How can we convince ourselves that that and that alone is the place of peace, the place of rest and prosperity, God's will in all our lives. So today we continue 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24, Paul's two-sentence summary of the entire letter. It is a wish prayer. May God. It's not his only one, not even his only one in this letter as we'll see. In this wish prayer, he desires the entire sanctification of all of the all in Thessalonia and he says here that only God can do it may God sanctify you entirely and only God therefore can do it it is obvious that Paul is not praying for their positional sanctification because all believers have that all believers are positionally sanctified at the moment of salvation meaning that we're set apart unto God we have eternal life we're regenerated Um, And we're with God forever. You can't lose your salvation. That's what we call positional sanctification. But here he's praying for their lives. The actual outflow of their lives. The living of their lives. The experience of their lives. What they say, what they think, what they do. That's what we call practical or experiential sanctification. And we have to definitely, as all believers should be able to discern that. Actually, not should. They have to. Or they'll get uh, mixed up with Scripture or in the Scripture. So we have to ask ourselves, do we, and each of us are going to have to ask ourselves this throughout the rest of our lives, do we really understand the great height that God wants to bring us to? And is it worth sacrificing everything else? Because you're going to have to. Paul, uh, you know, God says, look, if you're going to climb to the top of this mountain where I want you, you have to leave everything behind. You cannot have anything else besides me. And for, and, and he, you know, a lot of us think, well, we're going to lose everything. And God's like, that's ridiculous. You're going to gain everything. What you're holding on to is far less than what I want to replace it with. So do we see how wonderful it really is? Should we settle for some worldly or fleshly imitation, some counterfeit of what God has truly offered us, actually given to us? So we again should all know the difference between positional and experiential sanctification. Positional is the moment you believed in Christ, God separated you from sin and death, saved you, regenerated you, gave you eternal life. And that's imputed to you. You're made righteous. You're made holy. You're justified. And therefore, and none of that can you lose. So often in some scriptures, and we'll see them today, 
uh, it says you're sanctified before the foundation of the world for onward and forever. And it can't be lost. It's something that's been done to you and it's final. But not all believers live separate unto God. Separate unto God would mean separate from the world, separate from the flesh, separate from sin. That, again, doesn't mean sinlessness. It means that we pursue sinlessness, although we're not successful at it. Uh, so, <clears throat> practical sanctification is living under God's will. And those are many, many choices. Positional sanctification is one choice. Believe in Christ as your Savior, you have it. Experiential sanctification is billions of choices. Millions, I don't know how many there are. But a lot. So look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We should start to know it pretty well. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Himself, Paul uses the pronoun here to emphasize that God is the only one who can sanctify. Entirely means a maturity of all things, every part of your life. And then he repeats that in another way. And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete. It's another way of saying may you be sanctified entirely. And so here God is protecting the maturity that you gain in all areas of life as you do the very same things that you do for an entire sanctification, which is to follow Christ, to follow God's will, to say no to temptation and so on. And when you do fall, to repent, recover, confess, and get back at it. Uh, Then without blame, and this goes all the way to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So either I'm going to die or the Lord's going to come back. One of those is going to happen first. And I've got to be continuing on this journey of sanctification until then. It's a beautiful way of tying in the fact that Christ could return at any minute. And I've got to keep growing until it's over. Right, so, preserved, complete, until Jesus comes. So, then Paul anticipates our reaction to this. He's really anticipating the reaction to the Thessalonians. One would wonder if Paul knew that this would be an eternal letter. Not just a letter to the Thessalonians, but a letter of the Bible and the Word of God that is abides forever. But, you know, it's reference to the Thessalonians. God the Holy Spirit is referencing it to us. And each of us in our souls are like, hold on. You're talking about me here. Sanctified entirely? Soul, spirit, body? You mean everything? Uh, and not just like today, but until the coming of our Lord, meaning tomorrow, the next day. When do I get a day off? You don't. So, same hand, you know, uh, how could I possibly do that? You're asking me the impossible. Paul anticipates that and he writes, his real, this is really his final line, teaching line of the letter. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. Bring it to pass is wordy. He uses the word poeo. Poeo means do it. So it was one of the uh, themes that they came up with at the Nike Corporation. Just do it. Uh, And that's kind of what's here. It just says do it. 
Faithful is He who calls you, and He will do it. That's what it says. So the one who calls you is faithful. Calls, as we'll see, is in the present tense. That means today's calling, tomorrow's calling. This present participle means it's continuous. So we have to ask ourselves about this position. That's why I I define that. There's a calling that's before the foundation of the world. There's also a calling that's today and tomorrow and the next day and was yesterday. So how are they different? They're not that different, but there's some difference to them. When we come to the end of our lives, would we like to look back? Because we're going to come there soon enough. Would you like to look back and see your life was filled with eternal meaning? Not just meaning, but eternal meaning. And that you had a positive impact on others. That was the will of God that brought glory to God. Is that what you would like to see as you look over your past when you come to the end of your life? God faithfully calls every believer to be entirely sanctified. God is the one to do it. So why aren't all of us doing it, meaning as believers? And that's because not everybody trusts in him. But, you know, if if we're called to it, and we are, then what it demands is trust. You know, God is saying, look, here's the path, walk it. Just go and walk it. What can God not do? And, you know, and that's he himself will entirely sanctify you, meaning that he is the one to do it. He's faithful who called you. He will do it. Uh, what can God not do? He will do it. And that's the confidence that Paul is praying that all of us would have and what God wants us all to have. So, God will do it, throws out all of the, you know, my past, my upbringing, my this, my that. God had it all. He knew it all. And he gave enough, more than enough, to overcome it all for every single one of us. So first we need to, sorry, first we will be sure to know the difference between our eternal position and our experience And we'll see biblical examples of each. In our passage, Paul is referring to practical sanctification, which is a life of holiness. And holiness and sanctification are the same. They come from the same root word, holy and sanctified. They're from the same word. And that is the daily result of our calling. We will remind ourselves that God's will is holiness in every part of our lives. We've already studied that, but it bears repeating. And finally, we'll apply these truths to ourselves using the example that Paul does in his letter to the Corinthians, which is the Exodus generation under Moses. It's a great example for this. God faithfully called them to the promised land. Why didn't they make it? So, But this is about you and I fulfilling our destiny. The destiny we've been called to by an all-powerful, all-faithful God. Your whole life depends upon this. My whole life depends upon this. You know, if we come to the end of our lives and we've made billions and millions of whatever, or we've built this library and this museum and things are named after us and all of that, what have we gotten? What have we done? 
And, uh, you know, I, I really got a chuckle out of that. It, of course, made the national media today that uh, Elon Musk referred to George Soros as Magneto. Now, if you don't know the X-Men comics, I, only, I don't know the comics, but I know the movies. Magneto is the ultimate evil bad guy in the X-Men world. <laughs> and he called George Soros. He, he said that he hates humanity. Now, I don't know if this is true, but it certainly seems like it is. I don't know this guy, he's a Czechoslovakian who's made himself billions of dollars and, and yet seems to like to mess with nations and how they function and stuff. He messes with America. So let's say you are George Soros. He's, he's close, right? Everybody thinks he's dead, but he's you know, somehow still hanging on. What, when he comes to the end of his life, what does he have? The poorest person in India who lives to be 25 years old because of diseased water and no sewerage and no food and no medicine in the most horrible place that you can imagine that he lives, has lived, he or him or her, will have done more as a believer who loved God for a short period of time than that man did with billions of dollars who lived to be 150 if he has enough, I'm sure he has doctors on call all the time to keep him breathing, you know. What does it matter? And, so, and we can look at that example and say, well, there you go. Thank God. God's going to finally get the evil, you know, people who are of the elite ruling class. But the point of that is, is not them. The point of that is me and my little life that nobody in this planet knows about besides a few what impact can I have for eternity in my life? And God has planned that for each and every one of us. Whether it's an impact on one person, an impact on a hundred people, somewhere in between, the glorification of Him, the pleasing of Him, and every believer has been called to it. Not one of us accepted. So this is about our fulfilling our destiny, what we've been called to. Don't wait until the end and regret not putting your whole life in God's hands. It is His will and design for you, and it is conformity to all that God will do for humanity in the world. In the end of history, what will the world look like at the end? All under the rulership of Jesus Christ, all in holiness to His one will, in a perfect world, we can live that way now before we're even there. That's what we're called to. So a theme today is that it is possible for every believer to be entirely sanctified because of verse 24. So verse 23 is a reality for each of us because of verse 24. God is faithful, he is able, and he calls every single one of us. No believer is accepted from this. <clears throat> now, this uh, election in the past is actually related to our daily walk. What were we elected to? Holiness and blamelessness. Paul anticipates our reaction again. He says entirely and completely, and we say, really? And he therefore tells us about, well, look, spirit which is your inner self, soul, 
which generally refers to a person. You know, when a when a ship a ship is filled with souls. You know, how many souls are on board? It's probably the way Paul's using it here. Uh, so the soul is a person. Your whole life, your person. But on, on either end of soul, we have spirit, which is your inner self, and body, which is your physical self. So nothing is excluded. And it's really wonderful here to say, you know, Paul is, I'm not just holy in my mind and I can give my body whatever it wants. Body, soul, spirit. I have been called by God to be holy. <clears throat> now for a similar wish prayer, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He uses an optative again here meaning that he wishes it. 1 Thessalonians 3.11 Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that you may establish your hearts without blame in holiness. And again, holiness, same root word as sanctification. Without blame, same word that he uses in our passage, blameless, same as, means the same as without blame, in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So in, here we have cause you to, verse 12 now, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. So here we have this increase, and that's exactly what he's getting at near the end this maturity, this complete holiness, this complete sanctification. And sanctification is a process. Now, as we grow, and that's what he says here. He says in chapter 4, verse 2, you can look at it quickly, that he says to it, excel still more. Keep going. Keep increasing. You're doing great, Thessalonians, but you need to excel still more. This is the sanctification process and up and up and up and up and up we go as we learn, as we grow, as we mature. And when does, when does this stop, Lord? Why, why, i got to keep growing, keep learning, keep changing, really, until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says here both in chapter 5 and in chapter 3. He also says it in chapter 4. The dead in Christ shall rise. And then again in chapter 5, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So we have one, two, three, four mentions in First Thessalonians of the coming of the Lord. And, you know, that is our end. So Paul, in his first letter, is keeping our minds on that end goal. And he's telling us now to increase towards it in our lives. All right, let's go to Hebrews 9, and let's look at this calling upon us. Ephesians 1.4 says that he chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Now listen to those words. You're going to Hebrews 9. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Right, so that's long before Genesis 1.1. God knew you. God chose you. It's very hard for our brains to comprehend that, but he did it. God chose you 
And then Paul writes, so that you would be holy. And that so that, that's a, you know, that points to now. Meaning today, I'm to be holy. And people say, what does holy mean? It's doing God's will. Doing God's will no matter what comes my way today. No matter who comes my way today. Whether it's a day that was very much expected or unexpected. And, you know, God who is faithful, He called me to this knowing every single thing, you know, hairs of my head are numbered, all of that. You know, it's like everything I would face today, and I'm to live one day at a time, so today's my life. He thought it's so important that I be holy today that he chose it before he even said, let there be light in the beginning. Genesis 1-3. That's pretty important. And I don't think we can possibly comprehend. I don't, you know, why is it so important that I do what I do today? It's not like it's going down in history books or, you know, how many people is it going to affect and all that. And, you know, it's funny how we can, at least my brain does, it thinks of the significance of impact in terms of numbers or amounts or, you know, how much is noticed and all of that. And I don't think God thinks about that at all. So, first is called. This is Hebrews 9.15, Revelation 9.19. This is a perfect participle. Now, the perfect means that you're called. Let's see if my pen can work today. Back here. Before the foundation of the world. That's my way of depicting that. So, before the foundation of the world, and put a timeline, whatever the earth was created, before then... God, the perfect tense means you're called. And then the results of this calling comes to now. That's what a perfect tense is. A perfect tense is something was completed in the past and the results of it are here and now. And English doesn't have a verb that does that. We have to use all those words to explain it. Greek has a perfect tense and that's what it means. Something done in the past whose results are now. Now, in some cases, the results are just not only now, but they go on for eternity. So when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he said, tetelestai. And tetelestai is the perfect tense of teleos. And teleos means to finish something. When he said tetelestai, he said in the perfect tense, it's done. And that means today it's done. Yesterday it was done. Today the work is done. But as we know, I mean, obviously the work is done forever. There's no more work to do for our salvation or the forgiveness of our sins. And so it's done. And that's what a perfect tense means. So you see here in both of these passages, you were called or elected long ago. And the results of it are now go all the way over to you now. And so what does this calling look like today that God thought so important to do it a long time ago before he even created the world? So look at Hebrews 9.15. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus Christ is the he here. 
For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, which is the Mosaic law, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal of the eternal inheritance. So you see that have been called, that's perfect tense. That's why it's translated have been. Right? That, that's got a finality to it. It's properly translated in the English. Have been called. Why? Well, this death of our Savior. God in the flesh. How does God become a man? How does he die for this? How does he pay for sins when he's innocent? And how does he die? The anomaly of Christianity, the reality is so bizarre, it's bizarre, beyond bizarre, that infinite God who created the world would become a baby in a manger, would grow, and under all the pressure that he was under, remain sinless, being the creator of the universe, and being the only preeminent one of all humanity, and knowing it, and still being humble. And in Gethsemane, saying, Father, if it be any other way, let this cup pass from me. The cup is the sins of the whole world. But your will be done. That's why I came. This is the one who died for us. And this is the one who what? Called us. Have been called. And the, notice what we receive in Hebrews 9.15. The promise of the internal, eternal inheritance. And what is in that inheritance? So a lot of it is what we're talking about now. Now, fast forward. Uh, same exact perfect participle is used in Revelation 19. Go there. Revelation 19.6. Revelation 19.6. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and, the, and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying. It's one of the things if you read through Revelation, you find out how noisy Revelation is. It is. It's constant. There's constant thunder booming voices from heaven. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride, that's you by the way, has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. It was given to her because God has given us the power to commit these righteous acts. Then he said to me, the angel said to John, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, we always say, you know, in English, of course you can understand why they use the word invited. Because it's a wedding. <laughs> you know, and it's almost, it's almost kind of, yeah, I got an invitation to this really nice wedding. Oh, good for you. you know. But this is the word called. It's this here. The perfect participle of kaleo, which is to call. 
And, you know, it's translated invited, but it should be translated just like it was back in Hebrews. Have been called. So read it this way. Write, blessed are those who have been called, elected to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that, and there again, John is emphasizing... Get my leave. That's the pointer. I want the pen. John is emphasizing this part. Just this part. Have been called. Way back when. Now, at the end of history, before it, well, got a thousand years to go here after Christ returns. But because I was called in eternity past, I'm a member of this wedding. I'm a member of this wedding now. Then, or now, this is my certain destiny. So, that's the perfect. Now, in our passage, it's not perfect. It's present. In our passage, we have the present participle. Faithful is he who calls you. Not has called you, but calls you. And present means continuous. In this this context, it means I've been called today. Called to what? To do God's will today in everything. Everything I face. So, it's... You know, it's not like jury duty. You get called, you serve, and then you're done. Or at least for a couple of years. Hopefully they don't call you back. I just got, I just got a summons to federal jury duty. Yeah. And, and it said, look, you, you can get an exemption if two, in, in the last two years you've served. And I'm like, cool, I can get an exemption. I served in Polk County on the jury two years one month ago. Just over the line. So, anyway. I, I, I might not be here. I'll be sequestered for the biggest court case in history. But, you know, I've, I, learned, I learned from, uh, you know, you just get up there and they say, uh, Pastor, uh, Mr. Chagru, uh, tell us something. You know, what do you think about people? I just say, I'm a racist. Yeah, that's all you do. Say, I'm a racist. They'll, they'll say, all right, we won't want him. All right, so... Faithful is he who calls you. It's not like jury duty. This is present. It's every day. Until when? When do I get off jury duty, Lord? When the Lord comes back. When the Lord returns, you're done. Now, what if I die first? Well, then you're done. But you see how important this is. That God would spend so much time that Paul would pray and this is the last line of his first letter he ever wrote. I mean, first letter of the Bible, of the New Testament from Paul, is First Thessalonians. It's his first letter, his first epistle. And the last line is a wish prayer that this would be true for the Thessalonians. And it's, it encapsulates his entire letter. This is what he wants. This, therefore, is a continuous calling to sanctification in all parts of life. Hence, those, those terms, uh, entirely and complete. Every aspect of my life, every aspect of myself, soul, spirit, body, every day, day by day. Do you realize what this is? I don't get to punch out of the Christian life. Say, so I've served God... Now it's time to go do my fleshly thing. If you do, 
I'm guilty. You're guilty. We don't have to take a, a survey. We've all done it. But you sinned. And that is not God's calling for your life. So recognize that. And if you recognize that, you've started the journey to overcome. If, if you recognize that and you don't care and you never change anything, you're going to be judged by Christ at the judgment seat. Not by me. Not by anybody else. I used to get frustrated at people uh, who didn't do what I wanted them to. <laughs> you know, who am I, right? Well, I'm a pastor, you know, and I, I've got a church to run. And I, I would get frustrated at people. And I'd be like, you know what? Christ, God is going to judge them, not me. Not me. And boy, once that really sat in my brain, I don't get frust- I don't get frustrated or anxious about things anymore. Not about that. They're going to stand before Jesus Christ. We all are. We all are. Not just them, me too. And we will be evaluated and recompensed. Second Corinthians five ten, on what we've done. So that's why Paul says. Excels, excel still more. 1 Thessalonians 4.2. Because it's present. Again, going back here. This present participle means it's a continuous calling. In the present tense, Paul is emphasizing this part. The moment you became born again, now your calling is a day-by-day thing. And so, Paul would write, you've been doing great. Keep going. And not... He says more. I mean, that's what the Greek word is. Malon is the word. It means more. Uh, He's saying don't stay level. Keep increasing. Keep learning. More, more, more. And, it just shows, and, and that is comforting because I, you know, I'd say, well, there's so many parts of my life that I don't really feel are all that holy. No kidding. Join the human race. Join, join the body of Christ. But you, we need to progress still more. And that increase can happen rapidly. And I think it, it happens very rapidly once this sets in and you or me or any believer finally says, you know, anybody can say it. But there comes a time in a believer's life where he says, I, fine, God, you've broken me. And, and you know what? That shows weakness. <laughs> you know, what I mean by that is uh, I had every chance and every message and every word from the Scripture kept telling me for decades to do this, and God finally wore me down. Where I have no more resistance. Why didn't I do it when why didn't I do it the easy way just from learning? Now because you're you and I'm me. So what matters is is that the time comes when we're willing to give over all. And I think then this excel still more happens quite rapidly. So go to first Corinthians ten. We'll close with our application here. First Corinthians ten. Can I do it? Try to imagine this English minister walking around St. Kitts. That's a pretty 
pretty island. I mean, all the Caribbean islands are, are pretty. I, I almost looked it up on a map, but I, I know a, I know the vicinity of it, obviously. But I've been to St. John and St. something or other. St. Martin, I've been there on a cruise once. It's in that area. Beautiful. Just gorgeous. Huge plantations, probably sugar, cane sugar. And this this minister, these slaves are not in church, I'm thinking. I'm thinking they're probably not allowed. They're out in the fields. And uh, this minister is going out into the fields and in 1800-something and telling them that they're made in the image of God even though they're slaves, even though their skin color is, they're looked upon as a less than human creature because of their skin color. But he's telling them, no, you're made in the image of God and Jesus Christ died for your sins. You can be a king in God's kingdom now, today, by believing in Christ as your Savior. Imagine. So God is faithful. God will equip and purify the believer in accord with what he has called him to be and to do. Now, in this passage we're about to look at, it's often taken, um, you know, it's often taken outside of its context. So let's read it and, and we'll see what context we get from it just on its own. Verse 13 No temptation is overtaking you. But such, as, as, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So, we, 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 it says God is faithful, right? In, uh, at the beginning, in the second clause, no temptation is overtaking you that isn't common so we're all, everybody is under them these temptations but or and God is faithful faithful is he who calls you same exact word and then he says he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able so does this mean that if I'm a weak believer he's not going to give me a test that's above my level you know, I'm a I'm a ninth grade believer. He's not going to give me a tenth grade test. And and I think there's some application there, absolutely. But there's something else here. We continue and we say the temptation with the temptation will provide the way of escape. And then he says, so that you'll be able to endure it. Now don't those seem antithetical? If I'm escaping, why am I enduring? If I'm escaping it, then I'm not needing to endure it any longer. Correct. So, what does escape mean? Well, when we look at the context of the passage, which is overlooked sometimes, we can look at this passage as a means of saying that God doesn't give me stuff that's too hard for me. But the context is the Exodus generation. And the Exodus, every adult 20 years or older who left Egypt besides two people. And so this is a good million-ish, maybe more, died in the wilderness. They didn't make it. How do you know, 
uh, faithful is he who calls you, where were they called to go? They were all called to go to the promised land, every one of them. But they didn't make it. They died in the wilderness. Why is that? Because God wasn't able to bring them in? Certainly not. But this is all played out for us in the book of Exodus beautifully. That, for instance, they made a golden calf and bowed down to it. That was not good. While Moses is up in the mountain. But they were forgiven. Correct. <laughs> uh, and then they, you know, they ran short of water. They complained. Not good. They sent 12 spies into the land. Ten spies came back and said, oh, they're huge. They're giants. The cities are too big. There's no way we could take it. Not good. They all wanted to go back to Egypt. Not good. They complained and complained and complained. And they didn't trust. The promises were theirs. They saw the Red Sea split. They saw the other ten plagues in Egypt They saw bitter water turn to sweet, water come from a rock, manna drop from heaven every day. Uh, They saw the fire that led them in the day, the the cloud that led them at night. They saw it all, just like we do. So, God, so what is the point here? God is not going to allow you to be tempted more than you're able means that the life that you've been given is not more than you're able to handle. You see that? It's a little bit different, but significantly. It's not that God's not going to give you things that are too hard for you. He gave the Exodus generation something that was too hard for them. They died. They didn't make it. Was God not faithful? No, God gave them every provision, everything, to make it through, and they wouldn't believe Him. So they stood on their own. And on their own, that's what we are. We're dead. Without God, we're dead. So, you know, same is true for us. Here God lays before us this life, and we say, well, God, this genetic makeup I have, these addictions that I've developed, these uh, parents that I had, these economic conditions I'm in, this slavery I'm under, this horrible environment that I've been born into, the poorest place in the world. And God says, well, that's not more powerful than me. I called you and I knew exactly where you'd be. I knew exactly what you'd go through. And I am faithful. There's nothing takes me by surprise here. It was done on purpose. Everything that has befallen you was done on purpose. In some cases, it helps us to say aloud on purpose. So, getting back to the seeming contradiction, God says he'll provide the way of escape so that you'll able to be able to endure it. What is the way of escape? Well, what was the way of escape for the Exodus? Trust. Faith. That's the escape. The escape is not from the test or the trial or the hardship. The escape is from the stress and the pressure and the anxiety and the worry that those things can put on you because you don't trust in God. That's the escape. The escape is from idolatry. 
The escape is from immorality, which we will go to to try and anesthetize or alleviate the pain rather than going to God. The escape is from the grumbling and complaining that nobody really likes. It feels good for a moment, but it never makes us feel good at all. The escape is from being a slave to circumstances and being set free unto God. And we can say, hey, bring it on. I know God has planned this. I will overcome it. I have every confidence. God is in me. I have his word in me. I'm called for this. I've been made for this. And I get confidence to say that I, God has made me. That's, this is why Paul could say I am what I am by the grace of God. See, we put Paul on this pedestal because he is. He's one of the most amazing men in all of history, for sure. But at the time, Paul didn't at all look at himself that way. He said everyone had forsaken him. He's in jail. He he doesn't even, is the church going to, well, I'm sure he knows the church is going to survive, but think of where he's at. When he writes that in Philippians, I am what I am by the grace of God. He's not the greatest man in the world. So let's read the context here and then we'll see it. So go back to verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, the manna from heaven, all drank the same spiritual drink, the water from a rock. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which which followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. So they saw the miracles. They drank from God just like we do. Now these things happened happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. That's the golden calf. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. That's when they went after the women of Midian. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents. That was grumbling and complaining in the wilderness because they had to go the long way around. Nor grumble as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation is overtaking you by such, but such as is common to man, to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. So you see, when you read it in the context, you see it as the course of your life. What did Israel face? Wilderness and the test that went with that. Well, what's your life? What are you facing? What am I facing? Every one of us has obstacles. Every one of us has temptations to immorality, to idolatry, to grumbling. All of us have it. And Paul says here, this is recorded for our instruction. We all drink of Christ, the spiritual rock. So let us not do what they did. And let us know that God is faithful, who has not given us a life that is 
more than we can handle. So the escape is that no matter what, we can trust the one who promised. That's the escape. It doesn't mean that the uh, problem goes away. The escape means that we can endure it. The escape is from escape from worry, escape from anger, bitterness, whatever, immorality and all of that. What, I, what happens in our lives, your life and mine, which are different, quite different, is all under the sovereign will of God. God, the perfectly faithful, calls us to endure it. And there's nothing that you face or comes into your life that you cannot handle. And not just handle it, but to do so with grace and wisdom and power and purity is holiness to truly overcome, to truly thrive. So 1 Corinthians 10.13 is about everything that happens in your life. God who is faithful has provided the means of overcoming through faith, through His Word, through the Holy Spirit to each of us. We all have the Holy Spirit. We all have the Word. We all have the Father. We all have the Lord. Now, do you want to come to the end of your life and regret that you did not take full advantage of this? That your life had real meaning and impact? That your life was managed and planned and lived by the Almighty God Himself who made you? That sounds marvelous. And then to go into eternity knowing that I took full advantage of what He'd given me. And with a ton of mistakes in the past, sure. But I took advantage of what His grace and faithfulness provided. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Your Word. Thank You that You guide and, and lead us in truth by the working of the Spirit within us to take Your Word and to make it understandable and harmonize it with our own minds. We ask, Father, that through Your Spirit that the words that we have learned today would greatly impact us, is that we would trust your faithfulness and overcome in our own lives, each of us. And then pray for each other and help each other overcome as we are members of your family. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.